When we consider a project, we really study it. Not just the surface idea, but everything about it. And when we go into a new podcast, we believe in it all the way. We have confidence in our ability to do it right, and we work hard to do the best possible job. Well done. I'm going to be honest, Sydney. I feel like I phone in a lot of podcast episodes. <laughs> I mean, that that's all good and well, but we just don't say it out loud. Oh, well, I'll remember to edit this out if I put in a little more. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Disney desk, everyone. I'm Carter. And I'm Sydney. And for this week's episode, we are going to be talking about the world premiere debut of the Disney 100 exhibition. Woo! I am very, very excited for this talk. Um, this was a very, very good birthday. This was like our birthday outing last week um, that we decided, that I decided I wanted to visit this exhibit. And we have a lot of fun things to report back about this. A lot of pictures, Please stay tuned to our social media at Disney Desk on both Twitter and Instagram for um, every like picture and little video clip that we took. It is very funny going back through your pictures and being like, oh, I was moving when I took that. Because <laughs> exhibits are a bit dark, so you're constantly right. on the move. And your camera needs an extra second to adjust for the light. Right. And then there's like the pressure of having somebody like behind you, like waiting to see the thing that you've been like staring in front of. Like there's this pressure to like be in continuous motion. Yes. Anyway, folks, before we get into today's topic, we are very excited to introduce a new segment to the Disney Desk called Internet Minute. Woo! Exactly. Internet Minute is going to be a new segment where um, we talk about some things that we found on the internet, because I don't know about you, dear listener, but we spend a lot of time on the internet. Like, probably the majority of my time on the internet. And yes, we see things that are relevant to Disney, interesting, funny, anything that we pick up, like, between, in the weeks, between us talking to one another for this, and talking to you, um, for this podcast, that we want to share so we are very excited to start incorporating the internet minute uh into our episodes starting today yeah for me it was an exciting opportunity because there's so many little things that happen during the week about disney where it's like wow we're not going to do a whole episode on that but it feels weird that we didn't talk about it exactly so this just gives us a little more room to breathe right it seems like there's news about something every week but there's also just kind of like fun one-off things that we need to do something with. I, my phone is filled up with screenshots. Right, right. All right, Sydney, because this is your idea, why don't you hit us off with the first topic? Okay, excellent. So, my first topic for Internet Minute comes from Twitter. From Ooh. Twitter user at Senator Sanders. That's right. Today's Internet Minute is brought to you by the distinguished gentleman from Vermont. My favorite person from Vermont, actually. He says, if Disney can afford to give a $20 million golden parachute last year to a CEO who did a lousy job, 
it can afford to pay Disney World cast members who are struggling to pay the rent and groceries a minimum wage of at least $18 an hour. I say to Disney, pay your workers a living wage. Yes. Um, yes, there has been some unfortunately tough worker news with Disney lately. Um, they buried the lead that there are several layoffs across the company uh, <laughs> in the news that we're making Toy Story 5, everybody. Uh, exactly. Also, like, several thousand people just lost their jobs. Right. Yeah, you know, for those of you who are patrons on Patreon, patreon.com slash DisneyDesk, um, you probably heard the episode where I talked about how I almost worked in one of these parks. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the sad thing about this, about the dynamic of working in the parks, of, of the dynamic of the park leg of this whole conglomerate, is that, like, these cast members are, at their core, fans. They work here because they love it and because they want to, and they really, really, really want to, like, be a, a part of this thing. But that dynamic really breeds, you know, a lot of exploitation. <laughs> right. Um, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about this, but did when you were discussing possibly working there, did you give you a sense about how much you would be making? Not at that stage, no. Yeah, if they were burying the lead on that, I can't imagine it was great. Um, oh, if you've worked know. in the Disney parks and don't feel afraid of violating some NDA, feel right. free to reach out to us at our socials, and yeah. we will relay that information during the next um, um, Disney News Internet But thing. I'd But I'd have to imagine that if Bernie Sanders is calling for $18 an hour, that it's pretty abysmal. Yeah. Well, it's also just like, I don't know, the, the very... He, well, one, I love it that, like, culturally it's just understood Chepik sucks. That's not just, like, a Disney right? nerd thing. Why did Everyone's he like, have to throw that in loser. there? <laughs> you have to, because you have to kick that guy every opportunity you get. He sucks. Right. Like, again, like, I'm about to go, like, one of my topics is kind of about, like, not blaming individual bad people for the badness of the system. But uh-huh. at the same time, fuck that guy. He yeah. individually was a piece of crap. Okay, lead us into yours. What? What? Okay, give us give us so, yours. Mine is um, another financial thing, but on a very different scale. So, uh, Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania is the latest film in the MCU. I actually just saw it this Tuesday. Uh, I'll largely leave my opinions uh, to myself in case we do an episode on it or we find an opportunity to talk about it. Right. Um, mostly because I don't want to spoil anything for Sydney. Right. But. Um, it had in its second box office weekend. It had a weekend drop, weekend to weekend drop of sixty nine percent, the second largest um, drop in franchise his, uh, second biggest drop in franchise history. One of the biggest drops for a sort of blockbuster comic book movie of all time. What's the Comparable, first one? I believe number one is still either Suicide Squad or Batman v Superman. Okay, those two came out the same year and were kind of the unholy duo of oh my god, this DC Extended Universe absolutely has no legs. Yeah. Um, the word of mouth is very bad, and only the diehards are committing. So there has been a lot of ink spilt about this movie. Um, if you've seen, it is the second um, MCU film to get a rotten review on Rotten Tomatoes, which, I don't know. This topic, I'm going to just kind of, if you will, if you'll let the dog off the leash a little bit, Sydney, I just mm-hmm. kind of want to yell about a couple different things. Okay. 
for starters, I, I think I've been radicalized in favor of this film. I'll, t- I, I, I'll say, I like the film. I right. think it's a pretty good film, a little rough around the edges, and you can kind of see where sort of pandemic limitations and FX limitations are hurting these films. But at the same time, the Vulture review of this referred to this movie as a, quote, cry for help. Ma'am, this is an Ant-Man. We all need to... Like, there is... The the fact that the MCU has kind of become the one shared pop cultural thing we have instead of Star Wars has made me realize how much I truly hated the Star Wars discourse and how I truly hate how it is taken over the MCU because this is exhausting. The fact that we are losing our minds over an Ant-Man film is kind right. of exhausting. The most non-assuming, pleasant little franchise the MCU ever created, that Marvel has created in any, like, even before the MCU was formed, the fact that this has somehow become, and as a whole, the MCU has inexplicably become, like, the Transformers of its time, where yeah. the reviews aren't really reviews, they are kind of just opportunities to do stand-up and wax poetically about the state of everything and how much you hate comic book movies and you hate how Hollywood has become this. Yeah. And it just... And it just bothers me because I rewatched a very interesting H-Bomber guy uh, video about Penny Arcade. And he talked about how Penny Arcade, in reta- response to EA making some bad decisions, referred to the CEO as a quote-unquote art-hating monster. And he and H-Bomber guy expressed his frustration of, like, you don't even understand, like, you're convinced this one individual person made this huge decision that's yeah. keeping you from having quote-unquote good art. He, he is a byproduct of an economic system that actively encourages people to dismiss art and make things worse and, like, not make the things you want. And that's, like, why I get so prickly about the discourse about the MCU now, where it's like, you are profiting off of this too, people. Yeah. Because in reality, what you're mad about from the exploitation of the FX industry to the blockbusterization of everything to the serialization of everything, that is all because, you know, that makes the line go up, so shareholders want that. That's why Warner Brothers has tried it. That's why Paramount has tried it. That's mm-hmm. why everyone else has tried it and just done worse with it. And failed, essentially, and, yeah. Yes. and But you know that writing stories about how capitalism is killing the art industry and how COVID is killing the art industry are not going to get you clicks. But if you complain about Marvel, you will get clicks. And again, like, I... Tr- I I, I, I fight against the idea that either of us are particularly homers, you know? Yeah. I, I try to fight that accusation. But what I will not stand for is disingenuous criticism right. that avoids the real topic, the real problem. And Ant-Man is not the problem here. No, it's not. Far from okay. it. Sydney, what is your second topic? Okay. Um, <laughs> my second topic is certainly much lighter. Um, it comes from Reddit. Um... This is from a subreddit I follow called r slash cake decorating, as, uh, you know, as one does, obviously. And this comes from user switchfan1991. I am talking today about a Disney-themed cake. Now, I think there is a way for us to, like, attach photos. This I will be putting this on social media as a reference, mm-hmm. because you all need to see this cake. Um... And we may be able to attach it to the episode itself. I know you can attach photos on Spotify. Anyway, this is called Toy Story Cake with Handmade Figures. This cake... (laughs) Okay, so remember Toy Story 2? 
um, when Woody gets, like, taken to this, like, toy collector, this, like, antique toy collector, yes. and he finds all of the memorabilia from his own franchise, it is a cake, like, that's, that is shaped like the Woody's Roundup uh, record player. Is this not the most adorable it thing is. you've ever seen? It has the yo-yo that Woody gets really up excited about. It has the snake in right. the boot. bullseye. The snake in the boot. There's a little bullseye and a little Jesse on top of the record player where they're, like, running on the record player. It's amazing how well they got sort of, like, the graphic part of the record player because, like, yeah. the logos and stuff for Woody's Roundup, like, Woody's very, you know, they're all very caricaturized. They're not, like, one-for-one right. recreations of the toys, and yet they still kind of nailed it. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Um... I cannot wait for the rest of you. We'll definitely find a way to share this image so that you can see it. But I, as soon as I saw this, I was like, I have to tell my podcast about this. Um, <laughs> because I love, like, cake art like this. And to find this really niche... It's super niche. Like, of all of the things that you could do Disney-related for a cake, and of all the things you could do Toy Story-related for a cake, to go from, like a reference from Toy Story 2 specifically that was, like, a single scene in the whole movie. Right. This is a very specific reference point, and I am just, like, so impressed with the detail here. Well done. It is, like, an in-universe, in-universe cake. Because it's, like... Yes. A Toy Story cake... Literally. ...that's a specific scene and a specific piece of merch from that scene. From that scene, yes, exactly. (laughs) Yes. Thank you very much for sharing that. Of course. (laughs) Okay, what's your last one? And my final piece, I do love that you picked two sort of, like, internet meme ones, and I picked two more, like, like basic, topical. yeah, basic topical ones, but I like that. I like that we have a mix. No, we need that balance. Yeah. Yes. So this is actually, I decided to audible to this one today. Um, so just today, we have our first trailer for the new Haunted Mansion film. So... I did not get a chance to watch. What's your verdict on it? So... Call me cautiously optimistic. This is one of the ones I keep forgetting because it's like, I feels like they always have some kind of haunted mansion. Basically all of the rides, they feel like they have some kind of project in the works that will or will not get made and whether or not, you know, it's not worth worrying about until it actually exists. So this film is directed by, it's um, directed by Justin Simeon, who you might know from his work on Dear White People and Bad Hair were two of his most recent things. Oh, cool. Yes. And it is interesting that they do get good directors for these. Like, you know, they got Brad Bird for Tomorrowland. I forget who they got for Jungle Cruise, but they were someone of note. And it looks pretty fun. Like, it has the right vibe. It has this, uh, like, the right color palette. Like, I'm not as familiar with, like, the lore of the rides. But a part of why I wanted to bring it up is it's super interesting that every version of Haunted Mansion they do centers around a family of color. So this one start like, so Tiffany Haddish and um, Lakeith Stanfield are a family pair mm. here. And, you know, obviously we grew up with the Eddie Murphy one in 2003, I want to say. Yeah. And I was wondering, is there anything in the history of the park or like the lore of the park that leans people toward that? That's really interesting. Um, I, I honestly think the original choice was just because that was, like, sort of a very popular Eddie Murphy time. Right. That was just, like, oh, he's 
one of the it guys right now in children's entertainment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, Eddie Murphy was doing sort of, like, family comedy at that time. Um, So it... So I I honestly think that was just the motivating factor behind the initial film. And now this is just sort of like following suit because if if they were white, I feel like there would be backlash. Right. Well, it's also interesting because Disney was working on an animated series centered around the Haunted Mansion. And also the main character of that was like a young white or young black girl. So like clearly they've just decided this is the park franchise. I mean... Yeah, and maybe it's just an aesthetic. Like, you know, there is something humorous. Like, there's, like, a lot of stereotypes that... that remember, like, the scary movie, like, parody films? Yes. Like, there's a lot of ideas around how black people relate to horror. Right. Um, how black people deal with, like, in real life, with things that are scary. <laughs> right. And there's an element of comedy to to that dynamic. Um that I think is just a good, you know, for for them to have hired not just, like, black actors, but Tiffany Haddish, of all people, like, a, a strong comedic presence. Right. Um, that, you know, it's just sort of that juxtaposition that adds an element of, of comedy to 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 a, to a haunted house story. Right. <laughs> it's hilarious that you mentioned that, because a recent trailer also dropped called The Blackening, which is... Um, a group of black friends go up to like the cabin in the woods and get sucked into a slasher horror scenario. And it's just about like them not, you know, not being the usual suspects for this. Right. Um, but yes, this cast is stacks on stacks on stacks until a point it's, um, Haddish, Owen Wilson, Danny DeVito, Rosario Dawson, Chase W. Dillon, Dan Levy, Jamie Lee Curtis, and then unfortunately Jared Leto as the Hatbox Ghost, which makes me especially mad oh, because he is that ruined my day. Right? Like why? <laughs> we were. I thought him doing the Joker was like, oh good, we don't have to deal with it. Like I was worried he was going to make a comeback after he won an Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club, and I was hoping Joker would like Falcon punch him out of this again. And he's also in Tron. You can't have both. You have to pick one. You can't take both of my franchise. Mm. Like, I have to have one of these that I don't have to deal with. Yeah. You can't have both. Right. I've just, <laughs> I've just fully become convinced if there's any one actor who actually does know where all the skeletons are buried, it's him. And that's why he keeps getting it's free him. passes. He buried them there. Yeah, he was complicit in the burying. And he's threatening me yeah. to be assured <laughs> destruction. Right. <laughs> all right. And... And... That concludes our first Internet Minute. And now, back to your regular scheduled programming. Yes. Okay. Disney 100, the exhibition. Yes. So, to kick off this this episode, I want to read to you what the actual website has to say about this. Mm-hmm. Created for the 100-year celebration of the Walt Disney Company... The world premiere exhibition will immerse guests in the beloved stories that have been dazzling fans since 1923. The Walt Disney Archives is opening its vault to treasures showcasing more than 250 of its crown jewels, rarely seen artworks and artifacts, costumes and props and other memorabilia. Exclusively for this exhibition, Disney has curated special behind-the-scenes glimpses 
into the creation of the company's most popular characters, films, shows, and attractions, from Disneyland to Walt Disney World and beyond. Plus, 10 magnificent, imaginatively themed galleries, all featuring moving stories, unique interactive installations, and exciting background information will take visitors on a journey through 100 years of the Walt Disney Company, celebrating the classics from Snow White and the Seven Doors to Strange World. As well as the latest members of the Disney family, Pixar, Star Wars, Marvel, and National Geographic. Disney 100, baby! Yes. So, what is really fascinating about this exhibit is, I wanted to look at some of the other places it was going, And it is only coming to three places. Philadelphia, Munich, and London. Wow. I was under the impression that this would be like a sort of national tour thing, and maybe they will do that someday. Me too. So background, more and more background information for those of you listening um, that don't know. Like, this, the museum that this was held in is a museum called the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia, PA. Um, it is a science museum, yes. and I feel the need to, to give context to that because it is a science museum that, um, is known for being extremely interactive, um, and this, like, these guest exhibitions that visit, um, like, are not exempt from that idea of being really interactive, having a lot of, like, background science. This, you know also has the same exact feel as the rest of the like science exhibits in this museum except with disney magic and behind the scenes right. things also included right um i think we said the joke we made while we were walking through the museum because it was the first time i think either of us had been since the pandemic um yeah i think we were joking it's like is there like this is the one museum that ben franklin would be genuinely giddy his name was behind because it is oh, like yes. it is a very like science for the whole family esque museum. Mm-hmm. There, you know, you get to like play with like electric wires to create light. You get to like you know you get to spin around in chairs to test physics. You get to look through telescopes. Yeah. Like it is, it is an incredibly charming, weird little place um, that is like a, oh, a yeah. mainstay of. Uh, Pennsylvania, like East Coast Pennsylvanian, um, like Culture, field trips. Kind of. Yes, um, exactly. I can't even tell you how many times I have visited the Franklin Institute. Yes, like in my childhood alone. Right, right. It's just one of those places, and it never gets old. Right. We, this is not the first exhibit we've we've this. The Franklin Institute has hosted other related exhibits, like the Marvel exhibit, mm-hmm. which was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen, and we went together to the Pixar. Right. version there was even a picture so actually i was honestly like initially i was surprised that it was choosing to come here because i was like it feels like it was already here in two different installations mm. previously through pixar and the marvel exhibit but but then i'm like oh wait no duh like of course it's coming here because they have sort of already established this like long-term relationship with us right it's like the fun for all the family museum so of course they're gonna have the fun for all the family company yeah, um, but I didn't, I I mean, like, we talked about this afterwards, that in the moment when we were there, we didn't notice that, like, for some reason, we didn't realize this was the world premiere of this thing. 
but I certainly didn't realize that it wasn't, like, this is the only premiere, at least that's happening in the United States. Yes, as best as I can tell, I don't, and again, I assume, like, plants are fluid, plants are flexible, but, like, Sure. I mean, I, I, of course, it makes perfect sense. You know, we're the premier Disney journalists. We're getting the inside scoop for you, the people, about this incredible exhibit. Yeah, exactly. So, you know what? It, the stars align perfectly, I guess. Yeah. Um, they just knew, you know what? You know what it is? You're right. They probably heard the podcast and they were like, that's where we'll go. Right. Yeah. It was going to go to the Museum of Natural History in New York. And they're like, no, 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 no. We gotta be no, no, where no, the no, people no, 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 no. are. Yeah. Um, obviously. Yes. Um, so for your birthday, this was actually your suggestion. You said, hey, my birthday is right near the beginning of when this exhibit's starting. You know, if we go during a weekday, it probably won't be too crowded. Let's make a day trip to Philadelphia yeah. and make a day out of it. Um, do you wanna go into oh, yeah. like do you wanna go into the whole day or are we just focusing exclusively on the exhibit? Do you want to talk about the cheesesteak pretzels? Yeah, that's basically so like <laughs> that I'm at, that my mouth is like watering right now just thinking right? about. You can yes. just taste the salt. Salt on a pretzel just hits different than salt in any other thing. Amazing. But so I had a very specific agenda that I just like a couple things. I'm a simple girl mm-hmm. that I just kidding. Who am I? That was a lie. I I'm was not a simple say girl. It. But <laughs> there's there's very few things that are simple about me. But on this on my birthday, I, I felt that this was a simple request. I wanted to go to Reading Terminal Market in Philadelphia, which, another fun fact, yes. like, another thing I didn't realize until afterwards, that that the Reading Terminal Market, which, for those of you that don't know, is a very famous, like, farmer's market situation mm-hmm. that that is in Center City, Philadelphia. It's like where the olden days it's of a, Philadelphia would get their, like, fish and cheese and bread. Exactly. It's a huge market, and it's, it's an iconic location in Philadelphia. That... They were celebrating their, like, the 100th or something. 130th anniversary. 130th anniversary of its opening on February 22nd. I did not know my entire life that I shared a birthday with the Reading Terminal Market. It is so funny because we were running in really quick and we go past a jazz band that everyone's recording and we're like, that's kind of weird. Yeah, I was like, okay. Like, you know, things like that happen sometimes. There are events we're coming off of. Um, a Super Bowl wake, mm-hmm. and gotta <laughs> bring like, joy back into oh, the city. It's almost gotta Mardi bring Gras. joy. Oh, a jazz band in the middle of the market. Okay, I did not think twice about it. There was even like a camera crew there. Like, well, I was like, all right, yeah, jazz band, cool. And it wasn't until I got home that day that I was like looking on on like the Philadelphia Reddit, and they were like, "Happy birthday to the Reading Terminal Market. It's 130 years old." And I was like, "What?" Because we were on a mission. I was like beelining it. Right. We're we were like, like, "Let's go get that pretzel." We get cannot out get of a parking We only t- paid for. Th- right. Yeah, we only <laughs> we only paid for 30 minutes of parking, so we were like in and out, boom. But I wanted a cheesesteak pretzel, and essentially, this is my favorite iteration of the cheesesteak, um, which is just. A big old like pretzel log that is stuffed with cheesesteak. Like what else do you need to know? Yeah, like keep it simple, keep it tasty. <laughs> yeah, and that it did. And it was so amazing. Like you like brought it up multiple times in the day. I just no, <laughs> like, I kept after... being like, damn it, why didn't I get two? They weren't even that expensive. <laughs> yeah. It was we have to I'm glad that we're bringing this up today because it just needs its own segment. <laughs> That's the real right. scoop we have here. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so we make our way to the Franklin Institute. 
Can we, yeah, let, let's just dive in. Yeah, like, where do we even start? First, do you even remember, like, your first impression of being like, oh, we're here. Like, I'm now I'm remembering what the first thing was. And every, oh, do you remember back in the day? I'm having a super ADHD e- evening, if you can't tell. like This was always going to be a jumped, episode. I just jumped from, like, five different topics in one sentence, in one breath. Do you remember when we went to see the Genghis Khan yes. exhibit? That was like <laughs> here? that was a pretty early hangout for us, if I remember correctly. Yeah, right. That was like like early, early in our friendship, and I just I don't know why that popped into my head. Like that's I we have a we have that. a long relationship with the Franklin Institute as like a staple in our friendship now. Yeah, it's like again, it's I, I like I don't know if people in like New York City know about it, but it's it's important to underline like. This, any big, like, traveling exhibit in the country, it's coming to the Franklin Institute. Like, oh, yeah. there was this Titanic one back when we were kids where it was, like, all these artifacts recovered from the Titanic, which James Cameron was not a fan of. Um, he He's very <laughs> vocal about people taking things from the wreckage. Um, right. But, yeah, it's this huge exhibit that had, like, recreations and, like, showed off, and they'd give you, like, a little name tag of, like, a, someone you would have been on the boat and, like, whether or not you survived. Which was ghoulish. Which is so hilarious. Which is just ghoulish for children. One for children, and two, just like these were real people. Don't fucking make them a commodity. They died due to man's hubris. Um, do you remember when we went to the Jurassic World one? That was another one. There was a cool Jurassic one that was like in you and I together have been to like a good handful of them now. Oh, just like the two of us. Which is weird because we didn't go to the Marvel one together. You went on a different day with your yeah. mom. I went with Joe right. and Danny. With the dudes. And me and Danny yeah. were like the kids in a candy store being like, look at that, look at that. And Joe, even though he was clearly having fun, had the energy of like a divorcee dad who got custody of the kid for right. the week. <laughs> right. Sorry, Joe. Yeah. Um, but yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like how I saw Finding Nemo for the first time at the Franklin Institute because they have a huge IMAX screen that's like a dome. So I'm like, oh, obviously yeah. this is the most, this is our generation's Ben-Hur. This is the most important film that anyone's ever made. It's huge. Look at it. Look how big yeah. it is. Right. But um, yes. <laughs> so you get into the exhibit. They have like a special little, like the special exhibits are kind of isolated from the rest of the museum. They have like a little pathway you go up and a staircase. They keep the special exhibits open way later than the rest of the, um, the museum. So, you know, you go through the signage, you take your photos, like, with all the signs. I love, I think... <laughs> At least we did. Yes. I, yeah, we, we got photo crazy. Um, they make you walk a lot. Yes. Yeah, they, like, because they separate it real well from the whole, but, the rest of the facility. <laughs> yes, but I was going to say first, like, I really like the iconography for this exhibit. They went with this, like, sort of crystal theme. It's very Fantasia. Yes. Well, it's funny because, like, the logo is... Uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice Mickey Mouse shooting these like pointing at these like crystals in the air and each of them have like different characters in them. It's very like right. rainbowy. It's very pastel. It's very aesthetically pleasing. And like again it, it leans into the, the like and we'll talk about this as we go. It leans into the different facets of Disney in a fun way. And oh yeah. As you get through the front you're introduced like you have like a little intro section which is Mickey Mouse as his uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice look coming in and, like, hyping up the crowd. And then he, like, magics Walt Disney into the room with an AI mm-hmm. creation. How did you feel about and this? And you know what? You know what? This is one of those moments that it's, like, no matter how old you are, no matter how smart you are, you get psyched to see, <laughs> like, a... 
right. hologram of Walt Disney. Because it's like a dark room. Like they, you walk into this like dark, yeah, it's like a dark room, like little mini theater. And then they like project the whole thing around the walls around you. Until you're like, it's Mickey Mouse. Yeah. And then you're like, oh my God, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm ripping my and shirt then- open. Right, and then like Walt Disney shows up, and we we like briefly talked about this in the moment. I thought he looked good. I thought he looked good. He yeah. sounded kind of weird. It's funny. I heard. I did not know it was connected to this exhibit, but I heard people complaining about an AI Walt Disney they made, and I'm like, yeah, AI art. It's a whole thing, and it really is. Like it really does get to that like childish like that like almost animal part of your brain. Where I can articulate, you like, AI is bad. We pr- shouldn't bring people back from the dead. This is ghoulish. Right. Like, no one likes this. But when they do it for this specific really setup, well. and they have yeah. a pretty good recreation of a Walt Disney quote, you are kind of like, wow. Right? Yeah. And it's like, you know, I, I watching that, I couldn't help but remember all of the, like, old rumors about his head being frozen. Right. Remember when it was funny to talk about that? that was <laughs> Why just, was that like, our the tired meme? Like, yeah. yeah. And then uh, Escape from Tomorrowland made a whole thing about that, and you're like, oh, it's a dead meme now. It's buried. Yeah, we're done with that. No more. Uh, but he's like probably the one person I would always consent to like never letting die. <laughs> yeah, I just it. I don't know. It's so weird because it's like you really do think it's like man, it's wild that like. The face of this company, aside from the mouse, the face of this company is just right? this, like, perpetually, like, 55-year-old, like, like industrialist. Uncle. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, yeah, but he's also one of the most absorbing stage presences we've ever had on this earth. Of course we're, we, like, of course they bring him back to, like, right. do this stuff. Exactly. Of course they still <laughs> use his image. Like, because he made an alternate, like, he made a succession plan. Just use Mickey and everything. But no, 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 right. no. That simply won't do. And again, that gets back to the Chappic thing we talked about, where it's like, yeah, you can never see him being summoned by Mickey Mouse to say stuff to an audience. No, talking to Tinkerbell, no, that, no, like, Tinkerbell, he could never. Yeah, Tinkerbell. Like, if Tinkerbell was doing anything with him, with him, it would be like, we're shooting on separate days, you can cut it together. Faking her death, yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, and I will say, like, that was, it's kind of a perfect way to kick it off, because then you're just... Like, you buy it. You are psyched. Again, yeah, the Disney no. things that work and the Disney things that don't, it's like, do they make you buy into magic at that specific moment? Right. And see, like, this is where Disney sort of differs from its competition, like, in, in these other studios, is that, like, its energy, it somehow excites you gently. Like, mm-hmm. it, it has this almost ASMR... <laughs> essence about it (laughs) that is almost like has like lullaby qualities but you like you are excited but you also feel like embraced and very comfortable and warm and like loved right you know and i do think i will say the gallery especially the main gallery so you do go through like a beginning like the prehistory where it shows like a surprisingly robust collection of shorts like i was yeah that part got the most crowded base people kept watching because they had Oswald the Lucky yeah. Rabbit and the original Alice cartoons he did, which had, like, live-action elements. It is wild that, like, early animation was so far ahead on, like, integrating live-action animation decades before we mm-hmm. did it with Roger Rabbit. Like, that was just... Right. It's like, well, you need some kind of human element. It can't just all be cartoons. Um, exactly. And, like, of course they have Steamboat Willie. I love... 
and they have so many drawings, but I do love they make a note of like, oh, this is a recreation because it's like, we're not bringing, like we do not have enough budget for a Glass Onion-esque emergency fire shield for every single one of these. Some of these are going to be exactly. Oh yeah, they weren't shy about that, and it didn't take away anything right. from it. Honestly, I kind of appreciate it. Like that's fine. Like I, I get the, I get the essence. I get the gist. Yeah, I love the uh, the one I got a photo of that I really loved is the original drawings of Mickey Mouse where he has like a snout, and you're like two mouse, like no, get away. Yeah, is this like like the Mortimer Mouse days? Yes. Yeah. Um, but yes, the main room is kind of built around like that's kind of where. And, like, there's a lot of different ways we can talk about this. But to your point about, like, the gentleness, I love that the main room kind of leans into the fact that all of these are based on, like, fairy tales. They're based on these very, like, children's story-esque things. Because there's just little corners where it's like, well, this is the Snow White corner. And, like, we have the original text and we have, like, all these conceptual drawings. Like, for the parts that they just talk about a specific film, they're just incredible. Because mm-hmm. you get so much out of just, like, a, half a wall. Like, a wall at most. Where you're like, they fit so much art, so much like, like, content about how this got made and where it came from. Yeah, and I feel like I can't think of anything that I feel like got skipped. Even things that I that I forgot about in the moment. I was like, oh yeah, that's a movie. <laughs> right, and like there were certain ones where we're like, man, not a lot of Encanto representation here. But they somehow found a way to like pretty gently incorporate all of these into different talking points. Right. Yeah, and I really appreciated that main room because it was all about just, like, one, it really leaned, because a lot of the ones in the main room were from when Walt was alive, so you have actual quotes about, like, the creative process from him, and, like, they do a really good job of, like, each one of these, and again, it's that Disney magic of, like, each one of these is a little miracle, and yet they seem so simple and earnest in the moment. Exactly. Okay, so from from this, like, main room in general, Mm -hmm. like, what's your favorite what, what's the thing that, like, took your breath away? Because this is the room that I remember, like, from wall to wall being like, oh, my God, it's that thing. Yeah, we definitely spent <laughs> Like, I had so many, room. I had so many, like, oh, my God moments in this room. Yes. What's, like, a few for you or one or two? Well, one, I love that they find a way to, like, make peace between the live action remakes and the animation. So they have a Cinderella section and then just, like, they have the glass slipper from the live action movie as, like, a prop. Or, like... Yeah. I really love the Mary Poppins section, which was the one that you got really into. Um, I nearly cried. Yeah, that's one of mine. They're, they had, like, real artifacts from the film. There was, like, a real, like, um, carousel horse from, like, it's just, you, you just get the impression, I'm looking back at my pictures now, that's like, God, this is a company that, like, understands its importance in people's lives. <laughs> Right, and that's the frustrating thing about them because it's like, again, it goes back to the Ant-Man thing. We can be mad at them for a lot of things, but they also understand they're like a cultural landmark. And again, that's a part of why I like this room because so much of this was like, no, get records, preserve, like preserve like concept art, not even like actual frames of animation. And like one of the like sort of marquee items was the, uh, from the beginning of Sleeping Beauty when it closes in on the storybook, it's the original Mm -hmm. storybook that's been, like, was apparently found, like, sort of worse for wear, and they restored it to its original shine. And then they had, like, the pages of it projected onto a wall. There's almost, like, um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Like, you almost feel starstruck by these, like, items. Right. <laughs> You're like, I can't believe I'm in the same room as this, like, Sleeping Beauty storybook. Right. And it's, like... Well, it's also just like you're around history. Again, this belongs in a museum and we're in a museum. Yeah. Isn't it nice to have this stuff like preserved and protected? And it's something like, again, it's something that you really w- learn about as you study film. It's just so much of this industry's history is just gone. Like so many of like the early films of like the 20s and 30s and 40s, there are just no physical copies of anymore because it's like, oh, well, mm-hmm. all the reels were in one building and the building caught on fire because that stuff is flammable. Sorry, I guess you right. can never see that film ever, ever again. And it's oh, like, well. yeah, it's like there is something so pure and exciting to see like, no, they care about this stuff enough to protect all of it. Like they preserving this. Right. Um, yeah, and just, yeah, again, it's like, 60 different animated films and every single one has a little bit of history here so they won't be forgotten it's just i love that disney has never been shy honestly i think i don't know why so many other companies and and like i'm gonna keep comparing it to you know like warner brothers or paramount or things like that like why don't they lean into this historical aspect of themselves i feel like people would have always been invited into Disney from a historical standpoint. Well, because... And that has kind of, like, made this unique. I think it really is, like... I think Disney is really good at finding a balance between, like, the IP of it all and sort of the history, pomp, and circumstance element. Because, like, I look at Warner Brothers now, and you see, like, the new Space Jam, which could have been, like, a fun little nostalgic callback to the original Space Jam, but instead it becomes stuffed with, like, Warner Brothers references... And you realize, like, none of it is, like, look at the amazing 100-year history of this company. All of it has this very cynical, like, brand, brand, check out our brands. Look at all these brands we got. Boop, boop, boop. And, like, again, Mm -hmm. I'm not a master of figuring out how to straddle that line. Or even something like multiverses, where it's like, oh, well, it's kind of fun that they have all these brands in here. It's like, I don't know, there's no, like, even all the attention and care they put in designing the characters, you're like, this doesn't feel like a historical, like, memory piece for the history of Warner Brothers. It's just like oh, well, we can have Batman punch Jake the dog in the face, so I guess we're doing that. (laughs) And it really is, like, Disney is the only company... And, like, it's not just Warner Brothers and Disney as... Like, yeah, they're the 100-year-old titans of this industry still, but, like, Paramount, Universal... Paramount's at least getting a little better because they're, like, I don't know, as the gatekeepers of Star Trek, they at least seem to hold that in reverence and appreciate, like, this thing is really important to a lot of people. Let's, like, make sure people appreciate Mm -hmm. it. But yeah, like no one else is that yeah. so good at simultaneously like basically like flipping out their like wallet, but also being like, yeah, but <laughs> this is, this matters. Like this is important. Right. Um, yeah. As you progress through and like, that's the one section that really gets really granular about the films because going forward, the rest of the museum is, well, one, I'll say, we've been in this room a hundred times now that we're thinking about all the different, like, special exhibits we went to. It's amazing how diverse a space it is for what's in reality just kind of like a big exhibition hall. Yeah, it, it, it would truly just be, like, a the biggest room you've ever seen. And somehow they're able to transform the space. I mean, this is the same space that we were in for Jurassic World. It looked absolutely nothing like this. <laughs> yeah. How the fuck did they get that T-Rex? Right. Yeah. Um, But anyway, you know, after you initially, like, enter through this exhibit, the 
it, it opens with just like introducing the timeline essentially and then as the timeline being like which we said in the beginning walt disney himself's timeline his career but then like literally it just opens up like here's all yeah. our, our movies we yeah. know that you've seen them here they are just for reference and then you just get a little artifact from each film each film literally like literally each Yikes. film and then they start sort of getting into um the next room is like about music or there's Which is more thematic ideas yes Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. More thematic ideas. Which I appreciated, because my biggest worry going in was it was going to be very, like, modern-facing. Like, it was mostly going to be Pixar. It was mostly going to be yeah. Marvel. Like, there's going to be whole areas for Marvel, and it was going to be whole areas for Star Wars. Right. Which wouldn't have been bad, but I'm like, well, that's not really, like, the history of Disney. You don't tell the history of Disney through Marvel and Star Wars. But instead, we get these very thematic right. rooms where we have a whole section for characters where one wall is, like, how they create, like their hero characters like their princesses so it's all centered around mm. ariel showing all yeah. these different drawings and like sample reels and like test videos they did of like here's how you know their reference videos for animation or like the quella de Ville section that's all about the villains and talking about like how they took this character from text to screen and screen, well one i appreciate yeah. that because i appreciate like you know there's so much discourse about copyright but i do appreciate that it's like the Disney versions of these characters are pretty different from the original text. Like, Dis the thing I mm -hmm. like about Disney's and a lot of Disney's animated films is they play, by playing in, like, sort of the classic fairy tale canon, you get to basically just do your own spin. You just add another piece to this canon. Right. I also, um, one of my favorite parts of, of this sort of, like, animation-heavy room, um, first of all, all of the reading material that went with these... Um, these pieces and artifacts were so good. They had this like wall that just had so many um, explanations from like various directors and writers over the years talking about, and even Walt Disney um, discussing like how from a writing standpoint you come up with a hero type, like what makes a good protagonist. And so when we talk about like how this exhibit ties into its own science they somehow like extracted the science out of the company for this this uh, right. museum. It, like filmmaking as an art is so interesting because it is part science, literally in the sense of like, well, this right. is how a piece of celluloid works, and that's how we make a film. You know, this is how light, like film itself is just a manifestation of light reflecting off something to create the illusion of a shape, and then our brains processing mm -hmm. that through a camera lens. But also like the science of like, how do you break right. down a story? How do you break down this into like mm -hmm. tropes and archetypes? Um, and one quote I really liked that they really emphasized throughout the entire exhibit was Disney Walt's himself's insistence on like a good character is a personality type. Like it's not. Oh my God. I have yes. that here. I'm literally looking at that in my photos until the character becomes a personality. It cannot right. be believed. Like they can say or do funny things, but if they don't have a personality, it, it just doesn't, they're not iconic. And it reminded right. me of, and I'm not a big fan of Red Letter Media. I take a lot of umbrage with a lot of their analysis of Star Wars. But an interesting experiment they did comparing the prequels to the original trilogy. It's like, I'm going to give you the name of a character and describe them without naming what they do or describing what they look like. And that is the embodiment of like what a good Disney character is. You can just describe their personality. Like Ariel, she's wistful, mm -hmm. she's impulsive, she's giddy, she's vibrant. Right. Aladdin, he's cool. He acts like he doesn't care, but he cares a lot. 
he's and it's got a little <laughs> bit um like it really makes mm-hmm. you appreciate like oh yeah that really is just the secret weapon isn't it yeah and it seems so simple when it's explained like that but honestly you can see how so many fail right. at this <laughs> um and beyond like sort of those sections then we we have a section dedicated to like the se- and then they get even more thematic where it's like nature they talk a lot about nature and disney's like sort of uh like what's the word preservation projects and yeah they have a section mm-hmm. that's all about like adventure i was most surprised right? by that that one was kind of like oh we, I remember I was turning the corner to that and to this National Geographic setup, and I was like, oh, <laughs> I was not expecting to there be seeing this here. was a pair of pants while Disney was gifted from, like, Peru, and I'm like, oh, that's neat. Yeah. Like, right, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, theoretically. You know, speaking of, like, before when we were talking about these other companies, I, I was actually surprised by how minimal the presence of um, Marvel and Star Wars was i was actually expecting a little more because we should say star wars was literally a wall it had a little text box talking about when they bought it and the films they've made and like where you can watch them i will say there was a very disney plus heavy presence in this where they're like here's where you can watch this or here's some things you can watch that relate to this which i'm like ah right there's the disney cynicism coming in okay yeah and you know i think honestly i feel like this exhibit sort of invalidates a lot of that criticism that Disney owns too many things because it somehow minimized the extra stuff that right. it owns. I, I think one of the best arguments that this exhibit makes is like, we didn't need to buy Marvel and Star Wars to be do this exhibit. Yeah, that's exactly and it. And I'm glad whoever curated this had that wherewithal to be like, we need to focus on the animated stuff and like, we need to focus on the, not right. the last 10 years, we need to focus on the other 90. Um, because, yeah, exactly. Star Wars was literally a wall with a handful of admittedly really cool props, a incredible Porg um, model that I'm like, hang on, my oh dude, my gosh, I'm going to bust yeah. you out of here, you and me, against the world. Right, I'm coming for you. Um, and then uh, Marvel literally just had a Black Panther uh, costume and a bunch of like little props. The yes. shield. And Eternals helmet, yeah. which was a fun one for me. Eternals, baby! Eternals! Um, I'm... Okay. <sighs> I'm curious to know your thoughts about the um, the room ab- about the parks, yes. because you've never been to a park. That was really striking. And again, that's, I think, the strength of this exhibit is it's everything Disney, not just one branch. And right. I, I appreciate it because it really is like, the parks fascinate me, even though I don't know as much about them as I want to, because it's like, this, what an undertaking, mm-hmm. especially in the context of, again, other companies Cartoon Network has tried to make stuff happen. Nickelodeon has tried to make hotels, and that failed kind of miserably. Like, other companies have Mm -hmm. tried this. Like, the only ones that succeeded is Universal, and that's because they were willing to sell their souls to J.K. Rowling enough to get the Harry Potter stuff. And, like, one, it's insane that this worked in terms of, like, oh, we're just going to build a park themed around one company. But also just, like, the hundreds of mini miracles that go into imagining every little corner of this. And, like, I think of anything captures Walt Disney's kind of mad industrial genius. It was that he was basically just trying to make his own community. Yeah, and that is honestly felt. I think that's what sets it apart from the the other parks that you mentioned or the other, like, companies that have sort of attempted something like this is that, like, 
at its core, Disney World even like came from the man's right. brain, and that's something that none that neither none of these other companies can really say that that their initiators, that their founders, got to actually plan out right the things like this that we are still enjoying to this day. And then he died. Fortunately, um, died before it got into the weird political angle he wanted to take it. So instead, it was just an amusement park. It right. wasn't a city. Although I still get the impression that, like, the people whose hands it was left in, even to this day, still, like, remain true to a lot of his requests. And and I think that's, that's really right. felt. Um, and it honestly had one of the most majestic little parts of the entire exhibit where it's just a model of the Cinderella Castle. And it's just, like, the nightly fireworks that you could see at the park. And it just made me yeah. really appreciate, like, mm-hmm. man, I want to go so bad, like... It feels like I'm missing something by not going. Yeah, it's I I have been to Disney World and like they they really did a good job of recreating the feel of it. One of the rooms was um modeled like Main Street in in right, Magic right. Kingdom. Um what um oh c- continuing on cuz like this is kind of towards the end of of the exhibit, but they they really left no stone unturned here because as I'm looking through my pictures, I'm finding um, some, like, artifacts from High School right. Musical. And you know what makes it... I just have to say, like, I think Disney has a deep respect for everything it's made. And there is nothing, like, that it is too prestigious or too proud to, like, acknowledge as theirs. Yeah. And, it, and, and when I saw this High School Musical Disney Channel stuff, I was like, oh, my God, like, yeah, they take pride in this. <laughs> The fact that they, yeah, have stuff dedicated to, like, early 2000s, like, our nostalgia. Like, they're not just wallowing in, like, the 80s or the 50s. Like, they... Yeah, like, this isn't just, like, the Renaissance, you know. I was, I, I was surprised to see Disney Channel stuff there. I thought this would just mostly be about, like, the most right. prestigious parts of its creations. And... It means a lot to that they... That there's nothing that they don't find important right. themselves. And again, that's, like... I feel like a lot of this talk is us just being like, okay, Disney is doing its own little, like, exhibition. This is how we'll figure out what Disney magic is. And I think we are kind of nailing it Mm. in terms of, like, yeah, it's like, oh, when it says fun for all the family, it means it. So if you were 10 when you first started absorbing Mm -hmm. Disney stuff, you will still see that stuff. You know what the damnedest thing is? Out of nowhere, my Mm. mom asked me what Song of the South was or what happened to it. I, I assume she read an article about Splash Mountain being changed. And I just explained, like, yeah, yeah that's the one thing Disney is never going to, like, ever release ever again. Doesn't want us and to... And then I thought about it, and it's like, in the right. 100 years of history, that's the only thing. Like, and isn't that kind of a thing? It really is, right? Yeah, that, that's the one thing. That it's like, 100 years, and basically everything is some kind of... And I don't mean in, like, the cancelable way. Like, I don't mean in, like, oh, this is problematic. Because, right. like, plenty... Like, Dumbo's problematic, Aristocats is problematic. Like, yeah. they have problematic stuff. But right. the fact that they, like, appreciate everything at face value, and even stuff like the World War II right. cartoons that they, like, you know, before they start, they put, like, a little disclaimer of, like, hey, just to put this in a historical context, this is what was happening in the world. And, like, at the time, this was considered yeah. okay. Like... The fact that right. they meet every basically everything they've made at that level of like, you know, it mattered. It's worth showing. It's worth preserving. And right. 
yeah. it's ours and we yeah, own this it. This is yeah. ours and whether whether we love it or not and we will appreciate that some people love all of these different things. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. I seldom think about Song of the South, which is probably the preference, but um yeah, that is remarkable and definitely deserves credit that yeah in a hundred years there's really only one franchise they don't that try to bury like to put away yeah, forever they're like they're honest about their existence i guess is the word right it's also it was also striking to me like how much of a bonding moment this was for us in terms of like there's so many little things about your disney fandom that i just didn't know that you were talking about mm-hmm. like and stuff i didn't even think to ask about like the fact that you were t- like you saw the lizzie mcguire movie album and you were like singing the one song i'm just like i've seen that movie a thousand <laughs> times because my sister and i never once thought of you would have also been in that age range to enjoy that but i'm the same <laughs> right what's um like okay let's let's like reminisce for a minute like what are some of your favorite things that you saw well one of my favorite things i i'd be remiss if i didn't bring this up the like we said uh, the franklin institute is built around interactivity and like tangibility and mm-hmm. they were talking about like how to make a character iconic and how they demonstrated that was color palettes so they had these little like basically painter squares with different colors on it to represent different characters and you had to guess what they are it went I got really in my head that one of them was Mulan and I would buck no suggestion otherwise for five straight. I just love the going in. We thought we like knew too. Because we were, we had a conversation about this like a while ago about like the sort of iconic color palettes Mm -hmm. like of Winnie the Pooh and that like you just see these colors and like you know who they are. And so going into this game, we were like, Oh, we got this. Right. And it was really And then I'm like actually. getting sweaty and being like, come on, baby, Mulan. It's got to be Mulan. Mulan. It's definitely Mulan. <laughs> you flip it over and it's Tigger. And I'm like, fuck! And then I remember kids are around. Yeah. And I'm like... Right. <laughs> it was kind of turned for a Wednesday. Um, it, there were a lot of people there. Yeah, I, I was actually surprised. For, for a Wednesday morning, we were there like mid-morning. Right. And it was like, we left it was, the, there were quite a few people and quite a few like children. Yeah, and it was Ash Wednesday, too. I'm like, come on, aren't some of you Catholic? I guess not. We did run into an uh, older couple with ash on their head, which was We did, funny. with the ash, yeah. Um, yeah, that was one of my favorites. Um, like, I really... The park stuff was incredible. Um, and, uh, like, that whole room that was just breaking down characters, I'm like, oh, this is, like, the exact mm-hmm. kind of nerdy, in the weeds stuff I was hoping would be here. What were some of your highlights? Well, we already kind of touched on the Mary Poppins thing. Um, I will... There there was this thing that absolutely took my breath away and made me almost, like, cry. And it was the the snow globe from Mary Poppins with the cathedral. And it's like, I won't spoil what made it special, but, like, you know, the way that they presented this snow globe was absolutely breathtaking and, and incredible. But... Another thing that, um, that like, I was like, oh my God, it's here, um, was they had one of the floats, like, in the, in the park section, what, I don't even know what to call it, one of the, like, ride seats from a ride called, uh, Peter Pan's Flight, and so I've been to Disney World twice in my life. I, as a kid, I used to have dreams about this ride really like i used to 
That's yes. interesting. I've had more than, yeah. And so you can imagine, basically, like, you go up in this, like, like each seat looks like a pirate ship thing. Um, and it goes up. It's, like, in this huge, like, building. And, like, the wait times for this ride are, like, an hour and 45 minutes. Like, people stand all day to get on this ride. And it's, it'll probably absolutely never, ever shut down. <laughs> uh, and I used to have dreams about this ride when I was a kid. That's actually, again, I didn't know that, and I'm really glad you shared that with me. Um, yeah, so seeing one of the, like, I I definitely made a, a bit of a scene uh, when I, like, turned the corner, and here it was, like, one of the seats from it. I was like, oh, my God. It's, like, I, like you go really high in the air, and you do feel like you're flying, and it's miraculous, and I was in love with it as a child, but a lot of people are. Like I said, people wait all day to, like, get on just this ride. Um, so that was a really special thing for me. I think that's just the appeal. Like, we left we, we left at the end of this day, and I, like, remember texting you to be like, you know, I freaking love Disney. <laughs> you literally, exact words. Like, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah. It's sometimes nice to be reminded. And it, Right, and that's, like, I don't care, like, what, like, who you are, like, your degree of love or hatred of Disney, like, there is something in this museum that is going to take your breath away and make you feel like a child, and, like, like, that, that little thing that, like, just you love, it's here. I, like, and I'm skimming through my photos, too, I forgot there's literally the Hocus Pocus, like, Necronomicon, it's just there. Like what? What is the that book? doing yeah. there? I like I know, right? I know that it also seemed random in the museum. Like it was just like, oh, here it yeah. is. They're like, oh, <laughs> it we was have in a, a box. lot more props. Like, we got here, here. And even just something as simple right. as the music that was playing during the whole exhibit, they had these like orchestral arrangements. They almost felt like they felt like one of those like beats to chill to mixes of like Ghibli music, <laughs> lo-fi, yeah, where they like reimagined yeah, lo-fi Disney, Disney beats. Yeah. It was that, but like better. And you're just like. Yeah, it was like, but it was orchestral, yeah. And you're just like stopping every now and then being like, oh, this is my song. I know this song. Yeah, and like singing Something as simple as walking into the room where they show like how Foley is made and how like, you know, the importance of music to Disney. Just seeing Mm -hmm. on the big screen almost there playing and like having it booming through like surround sound. You're just like, oh man, I didn't think I would get to feel this feeling. I never got to see it in theaters. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, you've never yeah. like experienced it like you're that. Just, like you're surrounded by the sound and you're like, "Oh, yeah, this is why the theater experience matters." Ooh. Right. Um yeah. That that alone, that memory alone of of when we were in that room and almost there like came on this jumbotron almost like gives me like chills just thinking about it. Cuz you cuz that scene is such like a warm magical yeah. the whole like room is this like golden, golden Right, as Anika Noni Rose serenades us in this, like, art deco 1920s 2D art. Yeah, amazing. What a... That was awesome that we got to do that, huh? Right? That kind of spoiled the in Philadelphia. We are the luckiest people ever. Um, and I... I don't know about you. I am making a point to visit this again. It's going to be here until August. Really? Oh, Shit, could we go to see it for my birthday? Y- yeah, we probably could. Like, I feel like it's like August twenty seventh or oh my something. God. And then we can go. 
it did burn us out. Like, we were originally like, yeah, let's go get ice cream. And by oh, the yeah. minute we got to the car, you, we were let's like, go home. I'm I fell tired. asleep in the car. <laughs> well, we also walked yeah. through the rest of the museum. Oh. Which. That's right. We, yeah, we saw the rest yeah. of the museum, which, which is doesn't fun. relate to this at all, so we're not going to talk about it too much. There's a giant heart at the Franklin Institute. Yeah. That's cool. Um, and we went inside it. You know, we saw a giant map of Philadelphia, yeah. a bunch of things. A lot of stuff was, like, being repaired. I will say, uh, the Franklin mm-hmm. Institute has a very Chuck E. Cheese energy where, like, everything's just it a does. touch jank. Like, it's been here since, like, it the is. 80s, so you can tell, like, everything's a little rough around the edges, but, like, the heart carries it. Yeah. Yeah, you can, it, it has the energy of, like, all right, this place is being maintained by, like, part-time right. 20-year-olds. Yes. I mean, I've said, if I ever become <laughs> rich, I'm pouring money into this place so it can have the right amount of yeah. mechanics and, like, employees it needs to be smooth operating at all times. Exactly. Um, what was the joke we were telling um, about Ben Franklin? In oh, the, right. <laughs> in the electricity yes, room. they have a giant photo or a painting recreating his famous lightning conducts electricity experiment, which if I realized... And this was a big thing when I was at NYU because you would have people who lived internationally coming to school so they didn't get all of your cultural references. Like I would reference right. I live near where Washington crossed the Delaware and they'd be like, what? And I'd be like, okay, so the war was going really bad, man. We were down, Washington, right. the U.S. was down bad, man. We were all dying. It was cold. Like, you know, it, it, this was all yeah. marshland, so it was gross when you were dying. Anyway, so we... And you had to you had to do that before Hamilton, right. so that's yeah, even harder. Like, yeah. Otherwise, you could just redirect people yeah, to Yeah, like Hamilton. that part where they're like, oh, we're just going to have to, like, do a guerrilla war. Yeah, basically that, but they want to cross a river. Yeah. Um, anywho. Right. Um, remind me, I actually have some funny stories about Hamilton I forgot. Um, anyway, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... But I forget oh, what we were talking ben about. Frank- we were like how do you think Ben Franklin? And I was like, no, you, you, I like from what I gather about Ben Franklin, he was probably like, bet you $20. I can't, (laughs) I can't get struck by lightning outside. And they're like, Ben, we're not, we don't want to see you do that. Um, yeah. And he goes out bare ass naked with his, Oh, right. I didn't explain what it was. So basically, cause he was kind of a scientist or like a self-proclaimed scientist. So he would do experiments. Yeah. He invented a couple things. He invented bifocals. But one of his ma- his most famous thing is he tied a key to a kite, let it get struck by lightning, and like then touched it basically to prove that lightning conducts electricity. Like that lightning is an electrical force. He also yeah. invented the lightning rod based off those um, tests, so which saved a lot of houses. And like these experiments. These experiments just ooze like nobody asked. Yeah, ben. what are you doing? Like, <laughs> how are you doing this? Crazy we thing? didn't. Like, we were already afraid of lightning. We didn't want to know this. Right. Which, again, is the energy captured in the exhibit where it's like, why do you just have a whale heart here? Why? Who? How did you yeah. kill a whale? Who did you yeah. hire? Yeah, what whale consented yes. to be donated to science but, in the afterlife? Yes, yeah. I love, yeah, I love your idea of like, oh, I'm going to do it, guys. I've got a kite. i got a key. Hey, man, come on. Yeah, you're drunk. But you can do here, it. Man. It's like actually really bad out right <laughs> now. I don't want you to get, you're going to get yourself hurt. Like, <laughs> no, come on. I can Kaboom. do it. I, I can do it. Yeah. Watch. Watch. You just hear an explosion. <laughs> and then he's like charred black with his hair sticking up. And he's like, oh. Exactly. See, I told you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you have um, any wrapping thoughts about the exhibit? You know, I don't, as much as, like, this is different than our other episodes where I'm like, 
go see this movie. Like, we really want you to do it. But I'm actually concerned that, like, maybe some of our viewers can't. Right. I guess that is, like, the bummer. Like, it's fun to have the inside scoop and be one of the few, like, podcasts that are going to talk about this. But at the same time, it is kind of a bummer yeah. that it's like, well, if you're not in the Philadelphia or New York area, this is kind of a big ask to check this out. But, I mean, we right. can't stress enough that if you have the means of seeing this, like, financial and traveling... It really right. is something worth seeing. It really is like a historical preservation piece that is worth engaging with. Yeah, I mean, like the prestige of this cannot be emphasized enough. It, it almost like I do want to compare this to actually visiting Disney World, like or a Disney park. You know, this reminded me of the our Disney store, which like sadly closed oh. down a couple of years ago. But it like. We had, I've seen some janky Disney stores, but the one at our mall was particularly magical because it was kind of small and sort of intimate, right. but it was decorated so it had well. had a different smell than the rest of the mall. Exactly. And it's just like, there is something so special about being submerged in like wall-to-wall Disney stuff. Right. And, you know, it's funny because like a couple days after we went, um, uh, Bernie Mattis- Madison, a uh, Disney animator who had worked at the company for 70 years, passed away. And seeing oh, right. Disney, I was originally going to do this in my news thing, but I thought it worked to kind of as like a part of our discussion here. Like he worked on a lot of films, though his two most famous, his two directorial credits were a Christmas, uh, Mickey's A Christmas Carol and The Great Mouse Detective, which he co-directed with uh, Musker and Clemens. And mm. seeing the Walt Disney Company, you know, yes, he was there for 70 years, but a lot of people worked at this company. Think about how many people worked at this company over 100 years. Right. And the fact that they would take the time to make multiple pieces, multiple articles, multiple posts, multiple things, just talking about this one man and, like, the contributions, right. specific contributions he made to films starting with, like, Lady and the Tramp all the way to Strange World. Like, Disney is it's a thing worth preserving it's a thing worth remembering every little bit and piece of it is important it's what you said every little bit of this matters and it's right they kind of have a responsibility to make sure all of it is saved and protected and remembered and this and they're doing a great job (laughs) this is the example of like they really are some of the best in the game at appreciating history absolutely well until another hundred years from now, when it's Disney 200 <laughs> and Cyborg Sydney and Automaton <laughs> Carter are covering it. I'm Carter. And I'm Sydney. Have a magical day. Thanks for listening. The Disney Desk is brought to you by Carter and Sydney. Follow us on Twitter at Disney Desk for the latest updates about the show. Want more of the most magical podcast on Earth? The Disney Desk is now on Patreon. For exclusive weekly bonus content from us, go to patreon.com slash disneydesk and become a patron for as little as $3 a month. Thank you.